Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 100 for Monday, January 30th, 2017. And welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. Hey, and Paul. it's Jenny Aronoff. There hey. you go. <laughs> he just joined hey. right in. <laughs> yeah, Jenny Aronoff, California, Studio City. Awesome. That's awesome. I was going to introduce you and say something about the fact that you are like you epitomize the definition of a working musician. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Kenny. No problem. It's uh, awesome. You're catching me right before I take off for a three-week crazy run through the entire globe, pretty much. So, yeah, okay. So let's let's dive right into this because, you know, when I uh, reached out to you, it was just like a week ago, and it was – you were on your way to Berlin for like a one-night show, and then you came back and, and signed uh, books. Uh, you, you have a great new book. You're not only a, a drummer, but you're an author. A uh, great new book called Sex Drums Rock and Roll. And uh, and you were back for a signing for that. And you had like one day off and now you're you're taken off again. So it, that's your life. Like, I mean, you just you you take all sorts of gigs. Is that right? Well, I, I work. Well, I'm, I'm my DNA is like this. But, um, you know, where I'm, I work a lot. I, I love it. You know, I mean, p- playing the drums. And playing music makes me feel good mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and as I mentioned in the book, sexually, but that's not my focus. But <laughs> the thing is, is um, I, uh, I, love, I love it. I really, I just love it. And I, and, uh, I worked very hard to have a schedule that is like this. You know, I'm, right now I'm playing in four bands, um, <clears throat> You know, one of John John Fogarty, Bodine's Supersonic Blues Machine, which is a super group featuring guitar players like Billy Gibbons, Steve Lukather, Robin Ford, Walter Trout, Eric Gales, Warren uh, Haynes, whoever is available. Wow. And I'm about to go to Mumbai, India. This is give you an example of my crazy schedule. I'm going to play in Mumbai, India on the 12th. Actually, here's what happened. I go to Vegas on the 8th. Play with the Bodines. On the 9th, I fly back to L.A., take four hours to chill, go back to the airport, fly to India, land on the 11th, 12th, do a show in Mumbai with Supersonic Blues Machine featuring Billy Gibbons, Eric Gales. Show's over at 12. At 4 in the morning, I'm on a plane to Dubai. Dubai to Houston, land. Somebody picks me up from customs, brings me to a private jet. Jet takes me to San Antonio. A van meets me, takes me to the rodeo. Two and a half hours, I'm on stage with Fogarty. And then... (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an example of. That. I mean, last night I was uh, after teaching for five hours. I, I I can't believe I have time for that, but I I thought it'd be cool to be. I haven't been associated with a school for a long time. I was once an associate professor at Indiana University while I was living there and still in the Mellencamp band. Anyway, Music Institute wanted uh, has uh, uh, brought me in to do uh, eight lectures or eight eight eight. Days of teaching and observing and stuff. It's been really cool. Um, actually, I'm learning a lot because I'm seeing how the new system works, you know, and yeah. what, what pe- kids are into, what they want to learn, what they are teaching. Uh, anyway, but, but from there I ran 
to a meeting in Malibu with a guy who's uh, who Steve Bellamy, who's produced films, nine films are up for 30 Academy Awards this year. He did L.A. La La Land. And oh, yeah. <clears throat> I had a meeting. This is a trip. I had a meeting with him. He wants to do a documentary on Kenny Aronoff. So a, fil- a young film director, him and me, were sitting there discussing this is uh, how we're going to do this. And it's, uh, it's extraordinary because, I mean, I, I know the music business, but I don't know how the whole film business works. And it was extraordinary to see how, uh, you know, listening to him explain how this is going to work. You know, you know, he owns Kodak Films. He has 40 theaters. He's going to have 60 by the time this thing comes out. You know, how do you make this thing? You know, will you keep the budget down? Um, you know, uh, is it filming all with film? No digital, but they may do some pull-away scenes in digital to save that film for, you know, capturing like maybe an interview with Mellencamp or whoever. And, and you know, and we discuss. The angle, I don't want this to be like the book, just about drumming, although that's what I do. Sure. I want it to be about something bigger than that. I mean, I, I asked myself when I wrote the book, like, you know, I mean, how, how did I do this? Because I never look backwards. I always look forward, you know, because I'm thinking, okay, uh, you know, it's the music business. I mean, what's my next gig? What's oh my the God, next okay. gig? Yeah. yeah. So how do you so, – I'm actually curious. I want to I want to take you on a little detour here because it, it you uh, – there are many of us out here that, you know, play our gigs and do our stuff and we have to manage our schedules and we have to find the next gig. And you're doing the same thing. You happen to be doing it with much cooler cats at a much different level. But right. but it, I mean, it sounds like you're kind of doing the same thing. How do you like how do you manage your schedule? How, how does that work? Very complex. I mean, <laughs> I, I do. I do have somebody that pays all my bills and handles my business. Okay, as for, so I don't have to do that. I mean, I do have to communicate with her all the time. She does my taxes. She does sure. she pays all my bills. So if I have to, you know, anything to do with anything monetary, if I have a question, I do. It. I have a, 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 a finance guy that I talk to every so often. That handles you know, my money, you know, investments and sure. yeah. I have a publicist now. That I hired, uh, you know, out of my own money to cover promoting this book, and it's it's been great. I mean, she's they, between her and the publicist at Hal Leonard, they've got me you know, a lot of TV, radio, you know, uh, LA Weekly. I mean, I'm I'm going to do Seth Meyers for four days next week as a guest drummer. Uh, when I'm in New York, they make sure I'm hooked up with a lot of interviews, like you dealt with Joanne, right? And so, and that's good to have somebody like that. But she also is somebody to bounce ideas off of. But with regard to booking and invoicing. <laughs> And arranging and scheduling, I have to do all of that. You last do. night, okay. last night after that dinner, I had that meeting after teaching for five hours, and I was pretty exhausted because, like you said, I went from Berlin. I was done. I was at my hotel by about one by four in the morning. I was in the car. I'd only had an hour of sleep. Driving to the airport, flew to Amsterdam, flew to L.A., slept on the plane, shaved in the bathroom, got off, changed my clothes in the bathroom, got off, went right to book signing, lecture, interview, interview, interview. The next day, interviews from 9.30 to 5, come back, start practicing because I'm going to play with the Buddy Rich Big Band the next night. So I sat in with the Buddy Rich Big Band 
on uh, Monday night. So I practiced for three hours, getting ready to play straight note chaser at about 800 beats a minute. It was me and Dave Weckl. That's the only drummers. And uh, I mean, it's a little bit intimidating. Los Angeles, Buddy Rich, 100th year anniversary, and I'm sitting in with the big with the big band. And, you know, uh, you know so then... I immediately go into the next mode. I get home and I'm immediately like going through, I have a landing page, a speaker landing page that I've been working on for a year and a half. That been, I had 30 page of edits. I got them back. So I had, so last night after teaching for five hours and then having that meeting about the, the documentary, I come back here and I'm up from, my wife went to bed about 11. I worked till four in the morning trying to go over the speaker's page, go uh, get get uh, uh, all these uh, backing tracks into Digital Performer because I'm going to run the backing tracks for a show I'm going to do at uh, Mohegan Sun in Connecticut yeah. on Friday with Gary Wright, the singer from Ambrosia, a singer from... Um, uh, what's his name? David Page from he said, "What was the band that did Kyrie and Broken Wings?" Oh, that, yeah. Um, oh. It's, not, it's not Asia, is it? No, that's not. Asia. No, 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 no. What was that band? Ah, I'm spacing it out. Anyway, that band did uh, backing tracks for three Kansas songs. And so this is a gig I do on Friday, which is just a corporate that was Mister Mister. That's it, Mister Mister. Yeah. And so I'm doing that. Then I'm going through all the edits. Uh, that they fixed on the landing page. Then I'm going through invoicing. Then I'm looking at um, uh, a video shoot I'm doing with this band, Heaven and Earth, that I'm a member of. And then I'm looking at um, uh, the Supersonic Blues Machine material. And I'm dealing with Fogarty stuff. And I'm looking at my schedule. I mean, it's just... I'm, All right, so, it's, so, it's crazy. so a, qu- a question related to that. How... What happens when you've got a gig booked? Because it it sounds like it, it would almost be impossible to find a day when you don't have a gig booked. And then somebody like, say, Fogarty calls and says, hey, man, I need you at the rodeo in San Antonio. I mean, do you, how does how do you manage that so that you're you know doing right by the people that you've that you've agreed to and yet still honoring all the commitments you need to honor? Oh man, that's that's a good question because yeah, that was a problem. Um, they wanted me to not do the gig in Mumbai, and I'd already been paid. Uh, I'd already signed contracts. Uh, my name was already part of the publicity. Uh, yeah, it was a very touchy situation. I just said, look, uh, first thing I do is go. <coughs> excuse me. First thing I do is cough. No, first thing I do, <laughs> Take a moment, I, cough. That's yeah. right. First thing I do is just say, I always immediately try to make it work out. So I go, well, I said, look, I can't. Um, And they say, well, you have to cancel. I said, well, what you do in a situation like that, if they're really emotional about it, you just say, I will see what I can do. Yeah. You just say, I'll see what I can do. Even if you know you're not going to be able to get out. But I thought I I would see what I could do. Probably, so I, at some level, you probably believe that, even though you know there's only 24 hours in the day, right? Yeah. Right. So I go, okay. I go back to Super Sorry Blues Machine. I say, look at this situation. They go, no, no, you can't. Your name is already, you know, dude, we can't. So then I call immigration to see if, what if I did get another drummer? How soon would it be able to, could you get a visa? And right. they said, well, we still, there actually is some time. We can do a rush and blah, blah, blah. So I find a drummer and I go back to Supersonic. And this is going back and forth over sure. a period of time. And I go, finally gets down to, okay, I better, 
as much as I don't want to do this, I better try to get out of it. So I come back to Supersonic Blues Machine and say, and which I'm a member of, by the way. Right. I go, okay, here's the situation. It's getting pretty heated right now. I have been with John Fogarty for 22 years. Uh, I know that they booked a gig after. It's not the greatest situation, but can you do this show with this drummer? It's really good and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. And, and, they look, and the guy looked at me, who's one of my... Uh, you know, partners in this. He goes, you know, and he's handling most of the business part. He goes, you know, Kenny, absolutely, but not on this gig. Because if you bail at this point, it's not just you're out of it. The promoter, the manager, the guy who's going to be booking gigs all through Europe and all over the world is now looking at our band as like, First, Walter Trout can't do it. Then uh, Robin Ford bails. Now you bail. It's like they're gonna. Go, they're at the point now. One more thing. It's like you guys are a pain in the ass to work with. We don't want to work with you. And we've just started the new record. The record label guy's gonna go like, "What is it with you guys? You can't." Every time we talk to you, it's a different story. Or this guy bails. Right. And so now it's not affecting just me. And is affecting the band and a lot of biz potential business. So now that makes it a little heavier. So then I take that drummer aside and say, dude, instead of subbing for me on the uh, uh, supersonic blues machine, would you be willing to learn the show and be and be standby? I mean, I said, I, pro- I am going to make it. I know I'm going to make it, but they're a little concerned because I am going Mumbai yeah. – Dubai, Houston, private jet with a two hour, two and a half hour, yeah. uh, you know, uh, sh- uh, uh, block, you know, or, or safety net. <coughs> Things happen. Things happen. So, yeah. I had to turn down a gig a couple of weeks ago for exactly this. They're like, no, you'll probably make it. I'm like, what, what if I don't like, right. then you're screwed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so in this particular case, the, uh, the Fogarty camp was not happy, but they finally realized that this is what was going to happen. So I, at least the show will go on. I'm going to make, it's going to be fine, but that's just the scenario, how it came down. And you know, uh, are they happy with this? No, but I, you know, here's the deal. And you know, if for somebody to hold me where I'm available at their back and call, whenever they call and I cancel stuff, then you have to put me on salary on a retainer moment. It's obvious, but they don't do that, (laughs) but they want you to be available anyway. And it's not going to work that way because I explained that, look, and this is not just with photos with anybody. If you're only working 40 shows a a year, I can't live on 40 shows a year. Not with my outtake. You know, I have big bills, big expensive to run Aaron off. It's not, it's a lot of, lot of, a lot of mechanisms, a lot of, a lot of gears. Takes going. a lot of energy to run Kenny. Well, it's, the energy is not a problem. It's the fi- <laughs> finances. Yeah, exactly. Well, you got to feed the. You got to fuel the fire. That's right. So, hey, Kenny, let me ask you a question. Has it always been this way? When you were coming up as a musician, were you a band guy? Like, was the goal to get in a really good band and make a band break, or did you always view it as a life in music is going to be? I got to look out for myself, and I'm going to have to have a lot of things going on. No, I was always a band guy, but I always would would 
because I have so much energy and desire and there's so many opportunities and people want to work with me um, that I was always getting calls no matter what. When I was with Melican for 17 years, the first eight was like, I mean, we hardly had any downtime, but I'd still try to squeeze in a few things. I didn't really care to that much back then because the band was so big and, and uh, it was so exciting to be part of something like that. Uh, I went from clubs to arenas, you know, to yeah. we were on Saturday Night Live four times, and every yeah. TV show and MTV embraced us, and uh, we, I mean, we had, I mean, it was a real rock and roll fantasy come true, and I got there pretty much at the ground level. Now, um, what what happened was that when John took two years off in 1987, the end of 87, I I went to LA looking to make a living because I thought John was going to take three years off, which he didn't, but I thought he was. And I broke into the recording scene, which is not easy to do, but I managed to do it. And it took about a year to really break in. But next thing you know, I mean, I'm playing on everybody, you know, Bon Jovi, Alton John, Bob Dylan, Iggy Pop, Bob Seger, uh, Indigo Girls, uh, uh, you know, uh, Willie Nelson. That's just the tip of the iceberg. Rolling Stones, Santana, you know, on and on. The the discography, (laughs) for, for anybody, who hasn't read the book and and I will pimp your book for you Kenny because it's it's a great book um, the discography at the end lists it's called selected discography so it mm-hmm. might not even be everything and it's 14 very small type pages of all the things that you've played on so well, uh, it's 23 it's 23 pages if you oh. have lot if it's live and oh if you had the live stuff yeah I was just stopping at the uh, the discography and not going yeah. to the live performances that's right yeah it's crazy, it's crazy. so well, so you the, your answer to the question was actually really interesting because Paul and I talk about this a lot because I'm I'm like you I love to be in a band but the calls come in and I lo- I'll play with anybody at any time if I'm available and Paul's like Paul's a band leader though so <laughs> he's got a whole different take on this mentality yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, I I try, like, I play with the Bodines, so the Bodines understand that mm. if, uh, that they're gonna they're not going to get me every time, because I'm playing with John Fogarty. So they, they, they've got two backup drummers when I'm not available, but when I'm available, I'm their guy. Yep. And uh, that's awesome. That's an incredible thing. What a, yeah, uh, what a humbling thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Supersonic Blues Machine understands that too they they do um and heaven and earth well they haven't got any gigs yet and if they do they're gonna have to understand it too because fogarty is my main gig on the other hand nobody's working enough to to support me enough to pay you know i can't be in the band and and survive alone and you know the 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 recording business is depleted tremendously because there's no real reason for people to spend money, you know, to make a record. Why nobody sells records anymore. The music business is, you know, like the horse and buggy business. The car showed up eight years ago or 10 years ago, you know, so it's a whole different thing. So, uh, you know, hence I've got this, uh, from the book, I came up with seven ways that I believe people can be successful and stay successful in life. And that's turned into a, a show, an inspirational performance show I do that I've been working on for three years. And so that that pays very well. And, and uh, the message is incredible. And um, so that's another part. That's that's taking my entire life, life's work and funneling it down like a tube. And at the end of that tube is some meaningful 
uh, stuff that's based on what I've learned in life. It applies to, yeah. it's not, it's not just for musicians by a long shot. It's for anybody who wants to be successful in their life or their career. It could be a housewife. Uh, the things I talk about will help everybody be better at what they do. Cause you can always be better. So hey, you, Jamie, there's a, there's oh, a ahead, story man. about, uh, about your first trip to LA to record with Mellencamp and it didn't go great. And, yep. uh, and, but the, the takeaway from that story is that, it took some combination of your natural will to improve and uh, and a willingness to kind of look at your skill set. But it's still it's kind of hard for me to believe that you didn't cut a session. So, you know, was that a if you could just kind of talk about that? I mean, was, yeah, yeah. was it a you chops know, thing? Was it a. No, it makes total sense. Now, what happened was back in the day in the 80s <clears throat> until they had Pro Tools where you could take a shitty drummer and make him sound great or okay, you couldn't do that back then. You actually had to be a great musician. You had to know how to tune. You had to know how to play with a click track. You had to know how to groove. You had to know what beat to pick. You had to know how to be a musician, listen, and play. You had to know how to uh, get complete tracks from top to bottom. You had to have put in eight hours a day for year after year after year to get that good. That's who's the way it was. There was none of this like lazy thing. I'll oh, just fix it. Oh, you know, so what? You fix it, right? So tell, tell this so, story though, because Paul and I know this story because we read it in the book. But yeah. but tell tell this story about what happened because you went out to to L.A. to record the your your first album with John Cougar, John Mellencamp, and 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 then you didn't. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm leading up to that part. Okay, because all right, what, great. Cool. What, what happened was I just wanted people to hear how what it takes to be a great drummer. Now I was a I I my, the other thing is the question that I, I'll ask drummers or you can ask anybody is like what is your purpose here? What is your purpose of a drummer? What is your role? To look cool? That's not going to make you sound good on tape. The purpose of my purpose in the John Mellencamp, the big picture was to get his song on the radio and be number one. Now, what is that entitled? Everything I do, everything I play, every idea should go to that direction. My skill set was more into fusion music. I was trying to be like Billy Cobham. I was trying to play more complex drumming. I had not had the experience. I'd only been in the band for five weeks. I won the audition because I can hear anything on a, on a record, write it out, and then I write it out note for note and then memorize it. And that's what I did. I won the audition with, with Vibe and, and my Billy to play everything perfectly the way the other drummer did on the other record. But when it came to coming up with musical ideas, simple, simple is really difficult. A simple, creative, clever drum beat that serves the song, that makes the band sound great. To get that song <clears throat> on the radio and for everybody to love it so that John makes a lot of money. I mean, John's a corporation. I'm an employee. Just like if Microsoft hired me, I work for them to make money. It's not a buddy thing. It's a job thing. So the producer, the producer saw what was happening. It was, uh, you know, and he had only eight weeks to make this record. Uh, and so he needed to get the drum tracks first. Back then, you you had to get the drum tracks first. Right. So you could build everything on top of that. Yeah, if totally. The drum, yeah. yeah, if the drum is out of time, the whole band has to play at a time. You've got to get the tones, the feel, the tempo, everything. Drum tracks first. This guy's 
of course I could have gotten the tracks eventually. Sure, I already had the parts, and but he didn't have time, and he had to make an executive decision, which was got to get these drum tracks done. Then we got to go do guitar overdubs, fix the bass, add vocals. We got to add overdubs to that, maybe a couple keyboards, background vocals. Then we got to start mixing. <clears throat> got to leave room for, uh-oh, we don't have enough songs. We got to throw these two songs out. There was a lot to do in eight weeks. Um, so they decided we got to get the drum tracks done fast. And that's why I didn't play the record. I got asked to go down in um, to a, after the second day. Plus, I should say, I didn't have the cool gear. I didn't. I had like a single head of Tom's 1980 in Los Angeles. Double head of Tom's became back in yeah. uh, and coated in Basser, Gretsch drums, tonality. Yeah, you can't be oh. using those those hydraulic heads in, right. in the that, 80s, right? Right. Yeah. That's what I was using. I Is had the right? hydraulic. Yeah, I had the hydraulic Evans heads, fiberglass shells, <laughs> dead, I mean, dead, I, dead drums. Yeah, 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 and that was popular in the seventies, but not in eighty. Yeah. So, uh, so those were a lot of the things. John, I get called down to a meeting at the Chateau Marmont Hotel on Sunset, and John is explaining that I'm not going to play on the record as he's describing this thing to me. I'm sitting there going, nope, 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 I'm not going home. He said, well, he looked perplexed. And actually, I yelled out, no, 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 no. Everybody was shocked. I'd be like going up to, a, you know, like a Marine sergeant saying no to him. And so I, I was scrambling. And what happened was instead of a flight, fight or flight kind of mode, it was fight or fight. I went, um, well, I'm stumbling. I'm just like, and something told me to say this. I went, well, am I still the drummer in your band? And he looked very perplexed and went, well, uh, like, what are you getting at? Uh, yeah. I said, well, and then I'm scrambling. I'm looking around the room going, well, I'll, uh, then I'll go to the studio and I'll, um, yeah, I'll go to the studio and watch the drummers play my parts and I'm going to learn from them and I'll learn from this experience and I'll benefit from that. And then I turned and looked at him and said, and because I'm your drummer, then you'll benefit from what I learned and you don't have to pay me. I'll sleep on the floor. And he didn't pay me and I slept on a bed and for four weeks I stayed there humbled. And you have to remember, I, I just got into the Jerusalem symphony orchestra. Yeah, what, a, Leonard, what a humbling I, that, that, that seems, humbling. I don't know you, but that seems very out of character, you know, given, right. right yeah. Given what I do. Great, know. great life lesson for me. And so what I did, it, it told me some, uh, well, Back then, I didn't understand it like I value it now, but it says something about what type of person I was because then I went home with my tail between my legs, put together an eight-hour practice routine, started lifting weights, running six miles a day. I was a Marine, and all I kept thinking was, you're going to make the next record. you got to make the next record. you got to make the next which took a year and a half later is when we started to make the next record, and it was the most difficult record I've ever made in my life, but... That record launched my career with an album, American Fool, that won two Grammys. Right. And the, the drum solo in Jack and Diane, which is still played on the radio now, is an iconic air drumming drum thing that I had to come up with on the spot in the studio with the fear of once again losing my job. Yeah, yeah. My guess is that you probably had to sell that pretty hard, right? I mean, that's not the kind of thing a songwriter says, now let's feature the drummer playing this angular thing that nobody else is going to be able to figure out on the first try. It wasn't my idea. Seriously? No, 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 no. No, they they walked. That song was off the album. We didn't know what to do with it. 
It was just a cute song. And John was very angry and frustrated, screaming at everybody because nobody could come up with a genius idea how to make that song work. Next door was the, in the room next to us in Criteria in Miami was um, uh, the Bee Gees. And they were using this, we heard this drum machine or sequence. And John was like, what is that? And they, they, uh, uh, Don Gaiman, the, the, the co-producer, came in with this Lin One drum machine. I saw it and got immediately like, uh-oh. you know, defensive. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah like, you are again. <laughs> I, I grabbed it and programmed my drum beat on that machine using different sounds. And then I went back to the lounge and played pool. And then at a certain point, I hear somebody screaming, <coughs> John wants you. I come in there and says, hey, Kenny, we need a, we need a, can I swear on this show? You can, yeah, you say whatever you want. I, That's I won't. I won't. No, you're totally fine. It, you already did, actually. You didn't even notice it. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> well, John said, I effing need a drum solo. And I'm like, a drum solo on a ballad? And I'm thinking, what would Buddy Rich do? And Buddy Rich would say, this song stinks. Get rid of it. But uh, I, <clears throat> first thing we do is we spend all day getting drum sounds to get that big drum sound. Yeah. Back in the day, drums were recorded in vocal booths. So this was, nobody knew where to put the mics and how to blend them. So that was the first thing. The second thing was I had to come up with this drum solo. I had no idea. So I knew, they told me where they wanted me to come in. I knew I was going to make an entrance. At this point, I was learning now what my purpose was in a band that plays songs on the radio. Yeah, Something simple. So I came in, boom, blam. Uh, and four kicked drum snare drum and stopped. I look in the control room and everyone's loving it. John thought that was awesome. It's like I made a statement. I'm here now. The drums are here. Boom, blam, like an explosion. So then my next thought brain, my next thought process was, like, was don't go down the drums. Everybody goes down the tom toms from top to bottom. I decided I'll go up. So I started playing the pattern that was in the foot. Do do do. And I started doing some stuff. I don't remember how I got into the control room, but then I, at some point they were like, nah, come in here. So I go in there and everyone's telling me what to do. It's a really like hard to think straight when you got everybody making suggestions and all the egos and all the emotions. And I head back out there and I'm literally walking going, you got 30 feet to save your career, 25, 20. <laughs> you know, what are you going to play? I have no idea. You got 15, 10, 5. I turn around and I'm like, oh, my God, they're looking at me. What are you going to do? And I just went, uh, I'll just do the same beat, but I'm going to start it one eighth note later. I swear to God, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Maybe the same angel that told me to tell John I'm not going home. But yeah. I started the beat going up the drums an eighth note later, uh, basically on the end of one. So one, two, three, boom, blam, one, uh, uh, uh. And it was the same rhythm but displaced. So it's familiar, but it's a little bit odd. I Before I could even look up, John's hitting the talk back, saying hit a cymbal, which means he liked what I did. I hit a cymbal, and then I just said, you know what, I'm going down the drums now because I have to. I just went up. And I copied, you know, uh, Phil Collins in yeah. there, and I do 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 yeah. do 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 Ran out of drums, so I added a triplet. Blah, boom, boom, boom. One, two, three, bam. And, oh, uh, there you go, man. That was that. And then John screaming, groove, groove. We went through this whole thing of 
went to play it. <coughs> I finally playing, you know, boom, boom, boom. And then the hi-hat, 16th notes on the hi-hat. He's screaming too much hi-hat. Eventually it's boom, 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 shah. I, I go three, he and a four. And that was it. And it became this number one hit. And I... I couldn't believe it. I was so like, for every like drummer, wait for every drummer in a cover band that that needs to learn how to play that fill. That's the trick. It starts on the and a three, and then and, and then you're and off to one. the and a one. Well, it start no the the kick drum thing is and four right three and four and then four. one and and it's yes. one the and a one right right one two exactly what you said one two three and four one uh 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 but that's cool. Yeah, yep. There you go, Kenny. So you know you're uh, you're a big Beatles fan, right? That was a major influence on you. So the concept of like timeless classic music. What's it like now to know that you created a piece of music that 30 years you could still be walking through the mall or something and seeing someone air drumming your parts? What's that feel like? <laughs> oh man, I don't <laughs> lose, I don't lose sleep over it or anything. But when you descri- <laughs> when you just described it just now. It feels really cool, but, <laughs> but I don't. I'm I'm the type of guy who only focuses on what's coming next. I don't think about what I've done. Uh, I'm more. My attention is more on what's next. What's next? What can what What can I do? Okay, what's happening? What's next? What's my immediate plan? My short term plan? My long term plan? And I've so. My thing is I want to do another song like that. And, of course, with the way music is and radio is, and uh, it's very, very, very difficult. So that's hence why I'm in four bands. Um, you know, it's it, doing the Seth Meyers show is very important. To be on TV is is a big goal for me because TV's where you're seen, where you're visible. Having a book out is real good. I have another book that I'm going to write that, like, that's based on what I learned from this book, The Seven Ways to Be Successful, mm. uh, a documentary coming out. And, you know, actually, like the book and the documentary, these things aren't money-making things. These don't make money. It costs money to make these things. What they do do is it, it, it puts you... It gives you a credibility. It legitimizes that part of it. Yeah. Yeah. And at this point, after so many years of doing what I do, everybody knows I play the drums. Everybody knows I've done this. Kenny Sick of Kenny Aronoff. Well, now I do something that's a, uh, that you, you would hope to do at a career not that it's not a career that was, it's a career that is. Yeah. Kenny is pre- past present and future and I've worked real hard to be relevant and stay current you know what I mean and so I am still recording I am still touring I've now got a book now there'll be a documentary and then I'm speaking and those other things are just flowers that are blossoming off the vine that you could pretty much only do at the level I'm doing it if you've accomplished you know, as many records and tours as I've done, because then people are, will listen. People are interested. You, you, it's the next thing. It's just a matter of if you want to do the next thing or not. And I'm, you know, yeah. uh, you know, I got a lot of other projects going on that, that I'm, I'm not even talking about, but there's a lot of opportunities coming my way. And you know, it, it doesn't last forever. I realize this window, the book, the documentary might be a two year thing. And then, uh, and then now what? I guess I'll have to skydive and race cars to uh, get attention. <laughs> so hey, Kenny, you mentioned that. Uh, oh, got one more. Uh, you mentioned the, the way the music business is now. And I just wanted to ask you a little, a little bit about your perceptions about 
about music because you know you play between Mellencamp and Fogarty. That's a large part of my headspace of music that I live, still listen to, love to play. And I often reflect that right now, if you go around the country, you know, eighty percent of cover bands are still reaching back into those catalogs and it's forming a lot of what they're kind of do. Do you have any thoughts as to why? You know, what about music over the last twenty years? It you know it doesn't seem to have the life lifespan that the music that was created is it a, is it a, a thing about how people consume music now is it a cultural thing are the songs just not as good are the grooves just not as good why is the stuff that you created 30 years ago living very strong now and will probably live forever but i don't i don't see that with music in the last 20 years well uh that's a good question i mean it's it it the answer lies on both sides of the fence the consumer and the uh, the musicians that are creating music and actually there's uh, the fence uh, on top of the fence is the, the, the music business, which yeah. affects both sides. Okay. Let's go back to the sixties where the world, you know, post world war two, the world was black and white in the free world. Color came in. In other words, the hippies, freedom, freedom to express yourself. It was it was okay to to, to experiment, and creativity was blossoming all over the world in the free world. So it was the exciting time we were blossoming. So people would live in musicians, artists would live in houses and create. They would give up everything to be a musician and create. And if the music and the art wasn't good enough, they'd go back to the drawing bar. They were willing to work 24 hours a day on their art. And they weren't even thinking about getting on the radio. Nobody even knew that you could sell records. It wasn't a business. You were doing it because you loved music and you wanted to be special and unique. And it was an incredible time. And so one week you have, Oh, there's a band called the Beatles? Wow, there's another band called the Rolling Stones. Totally different. Totally great. Oh, dude, did you hear this? This dude, his name is, what a cool name. His name is Jimi Hendrix. (laughs) This guy, check his music out. It's not pop songs. It's cool. Oh, there's a stupid group called the Who. Who names themselves the Who? Oh my God! Have you heard them? There's a cr- cr- everybody in the band is a virtuoso. Yeah. Keith Moon, Roger Daltrey, Pete Townsend, and Ed Twistle. Who's the last guy you look at? Who's one of the greatest bass players ever to live? Oh my God! There's a band called Cream. What a stupid name! That band is amazing. <laughs> that singer, that guitar player, that, that drummer's crazy. Sly Stone. That, that drummer is really a, is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Sly, Sly Stone. Cool funk band, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, Crosby, Stills, and Ash, Joni Mitchell, uh, you know, Black Sabbath. I mean, on and on and on. And every band was iconic and amazing. All right, so you're right. We've defined how great music used to be. Well, then this music started getting played. Led Zeppelin, I forgot. Led Zeppelin, holy shit. And then, you know, um, and all these, all this music is still played in iconic. Do you think anybody's going to give a shit about a Kanye West rap song in twenty years? There's no, there's no music to back it. It's just words. I mean, if you want to listen to words, we'll be listening to Shakespeare twenty years from now. We'll be listening to the greatest poets and the greatest writers. But really, I mean, that stuff doesn't isn't going to have the longevity that songs that have. 
killer melodies and killer uh, uh, melodies in the guitars, melodies in the vocals, melodies in the choruses, uh, great arrangements. You know what I mean? Where Where everybody in the band is outstanding because, you know, Super Bowls aren't win on individuals. It's won with teams. NBA tournaments aren't win won by individuals, won by teams. Michael Jordan was dangerous because you didn't know if he was going to pass, shoot, or dribble. Yeah. So that's the thing about these bands is that everybody was killer. Everybody was badass, and they were all shooting for the, for the team. So what's happened now, let's go to the music business. Nobody's buying records. Okay, oh, let me back up a little bit before that. With Mellencamp. The business model was the record label signed the artist. They gave him enough money to make the record. They gave him enough money to remake the record. They gave him enough money to promote the record. To get on the radio could cost a million dollars for that one record. To get him on tour cost another whatever five hundred to a million plus, uh, you know, promotion, marketing, advertising, TV. All this took millions of dollars. Well. John, did he make all that money back on that first record that I was with him on? No, but he made it, did it good enough. He got two songs in the top 40, enough to make the next record. We spent a year, a year writing, rehearsing, throwing songs out, doing it again, doing, uh, eventually making a record. Uh, yeah, people saw the long game, man. Yeah. It was a long game, but there was money. Yep. To support the That's band. That's true. There was money to that support the long game. That's the whole games. point. Yeah. That's the whole point. The record label go, nope, that's not good enough. Artists, nope, that's not good enough. And then you, you had money to keep this thing going. Eventually, John got better in the next record. And then better. And then he develops his tour, his touring skills, performance skills, his writing skills. We get better. We start looking better. Just because you win American Idol doesn't mean you're a star. Or maybe you are a star, but you're not a musician. You're not a a seasoned musician that has got lots of touring experience and writing experience. All you did is win a popularity contest. Maybe you're a star because a lot of people know who you are, but you're not a developed, full seasoned musician yet. Just because you, and that's it's just the way it is, man. You have not paid your dues, just like Mellencamp. By the time he American Fool won Grammy, a Grammy, he'd made five or six albums. Yeah, and he had a lot of touring experience, a lot of writing experience. He'd been fired, dropped. Yeah, he paid it. He paid his dues in ways no one knew about. Yeah, yeah. blood, sweat, and tears. You know that yeah. went into the craft is just it's just different now. Listen. There are no shortcuts. Anybody out there that's lazy and entitled thinks you're just going to get it, you're a fool. Because there are people that are out there putting in thousands and thousands of hours going to smoke your ass. You won't even see a problem coming. You won't even know if you did anything wrong and you won't see anything coming. Yet you, you haven't put in the time. It's not a put down. It's just that you. there's no shortcuts. You have to put in thousands and thousands and thousands of hours and you have to get knocked down and you have to make mistakes to improve. And that's the way you make it. Now, so nowadays, no money. People are chasing after, I just want to get on the radio. I'll do anything to get on the radio. So they're not taking chances. They're not experimenting enough. They're trying to just copy what's already on the radio. They've only got $5,000 to make a record. They can't spend a year experimenting and throwing stuff out. They've got no support. You're on your own. You're in your own bedroom making a record by yourself as opposed 
to a whole band in a studio that costs two thousand dollars a day. That who's going to pay for that? <coughs> And then make music and then throw it out and make more music. And then then you make the record, then the record label's got enough money to promote it. There's none of that anymore. So it's not it's not really the artist's fault completely. It's not the band's fault. Now there's another factor. Back when I was a kid, there was no video games, there was no cell phones. Music was the biggest game around that was the only that was the main source of entertainment there wasn't even anything to watch on tv right so music was everything now you're competing with so many other ways of entertainment social media all in itself is entertainment uh you know you can get netflix immediately anytime you want any movie you can buy it on hulu voodoo netflix amazon you name it you want instant this you want instant that you want to see a band just go on the internet and watch it on YouTube. You don't have to even go to the concert. All this is splitting the pie up. So p- p- music is free. You don't even have to. So th- there's no end game for a band like there right. used to be. They just yeah. they'll settle. It's not as important. No, People it's a, even success is short lived. Yeah. Exactly. You think it'll come around, Kenny? You think it's going to go back to quality will matter again someday? Not in our lifetime, not, not, not to the, well, quality matters. Like my, my, my friend who's uh, got 30 movies, nominations for the uh, attempt, he's buying a, 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 I can't say which one, he's going to buy a studio. And the only thing you can do in that studio is record with tape and they're going to print on vinyl and vinyl's back. But to go back to where it was, it's like saying the car is going to go away and a horse and buggy's coming back. Yeah. Nothing ever goes back. Pan- Pandora's box is opened. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it's just the way it is. what's going to happen is it's going to evolve into something and settle into something. There'll always be musicians and people who have, uh, you know, want to do things with quality and the right way. But Times have changed. It's the evolution of mankind. Look at back. I mean, every, I mean, the pyramids. Egypt was one of the most advanced, probably the most advanced culture on the planet. Who would have ever thought that that would be obsolete? I mean, yeah, the shit they came up with back then was so so advanced. <laughs> But they had no idea that a jet was going to show up. <laughs> yeah, to cell- totally eat their lunch. <laughs> yeah, cell phones. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, shit, I'm in Mumbai on the 12th and I'm in, in San Antonio on the 13th. Yeah, that's with- that's like magic to the I mean, yeah, if you think we think yeah. the pyramids were built with magic. They would think that's magic. That's yeah, right. Exactly. So yeah. things are never going to be the same. They're going to no. settle. Yeah. And I know I'm coming off real strong and real hard. But you know what? It is what it is, man. No, you're telling the truth. Listen, you're preaching to the choir here. This whole concept of everybody gets a trophy and we got to coddle people through life does not fit for, for no. us. And neither one of us has raised our kids it that way. It doesn't create timeless music for sure. Well, that that too. Yeah. Oh, dude, the trophy thing. You saw it in my book. Yeah. I, that's bullshit. Not nobody. Not everybody gets a trophy. No. Are you kidding me? Yeah, but that's Just, what some, I mean, like yeah, I experienced sorry, it with, with my kids in their school at times. Oh, I know. Oh, it's here's crazy. A good here's a good example. Kurt Newman's the lead singer in the Bodines. His daughter goes to a really killer college in Texas, Baylor. She's in a class and her mouth dropped. The girl puts her hand up, says to the teacher, I got a D in my, this is college, you guys. I got a D in my test. The teacher goes, yeah, you got a D in your test. You 
did D work? She says, I don't think I should have a D. He says, yeah, you did D work. She gets her mom on the phone, walks up to the front desk uh, with the phone. I, I, that's my insane. Wife, my beautiful wife just brought me two eggs. Oh, uh, she's, she's so oh hot. I love her. I love her. All right, Kenny, she, I got a jumping question for you. Let me, let me just finish that. So the teacher goes up to the teacher. The, the, the teacher takes the phone. And there's the mom on the phone. You know what I would have done with the phone? Throwing it out the window or stepped on it or told realistic. I would have said, I don't want to speak to your fucking mom. You got the D. Sit your ass down. Rewrite your paper. Maybe I'll get you a second chance. But other than that, you get a D. If you want to do better than a D... Do a work. What the heck? You don't reward people just because their mom's on the phone. And then when they get out of school and they get into a law firm, oh, you did D work. Oh, that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, no problem. That's Man, if I, that's bullshit. It's bullshit. I had, I, I had, uh, I, you know, I'm a drummer and I have other businesses. I actually had somebody's mom call me after I fired them. This is like a 25 year old person. It's like, what the heck is this? Like, I can't talk to you about this. That's crazy. I would say, you know what? <laughs> I don't care. Serve to get fired by. <sighs> Tell your kid to work harder, whatever. Absolutely, ma'am. What the? You know what? This is a problem. My twin brother is a psychoanalyst. And he he has to deal. Sorry, I'm eating. Because <laughs> I, have, sure. to, I, I <laughs> have to drive to, a, to affliction and get clothing and then go to a book signing and then deal with saving the world. Well, but, if you're, if you're out of time, man, we, we told, I mean, we, you know, it sounds like the three of us could have this conversation all day if we didn't have other shit to do. So I know, I know. <laughs> you know what? But anyway, I mean, the thing is, look, you know it, you know it, I know it. The only way you're going to get anywhere in life is self-discipline which is doing things you don't necessarily want to do, but they get you the results you want. Yeah. Uh, hard work is like a vehicle that gets you somewhere in life. Hard work is transportation through life, fueled by passion if you love what you do, and education. You have to create a plan, execute the plan to reach your goals. Nothing is handed to you. If you do nothing, it's like a math equation. Zero equals zero. It's that simple. <laughs> it's that, that simple. simple. And then the fourth thing, and the reason why people have hired me over and over again is because I get along with people. They want me in the room next to them. I motivate the room. I help. I'm a team player. I help. It's not just about me. It's about all of us. <clears throat> and that helps. That helps people. There's plenty of great drummers out there, but not every drummer is that easy to work with. The people who are easy to work with will get hired. Right. It's that simple. So, you know, anyway, those are so, a few things. I, I got, I got a, at least one last question I want to ask you, and, and it, I, th- I think it's a simple one. You, you started your drumming career or you started your interest in drums because you saw Ringo. And then yeah. 50 years to the day later, you get to play on stage with Ringo and Paul. Yeah. I, so, I, and, and you talk about it in the book and it's fantastic. But the question I have is, how I mean, you're a pro, right? So you're on stage. You've got to like deliver your parts and and do your job. How in the moment were you able to be like saying, "Hey, you know, whatever, eleven year old Kenny, look what we did." <laughs> yeah. Well, here's what I did. That's a good question. I completely compartmentalized that, put that out of my head till I was done. Okay. I was like a Navy SEAL. You had to. This, yeah. This okay. is your mission. Yeah. Do not even think about that. Your job is to sound and look amazing 
on camera. The whole world is watching, yeah. including Paul and Ringo. And in between songs where they were resetting the stage, I was practicing my count off the click. Yep. So you were just a, in the moment you were a pro. Like, like you needed Maybe. to. What happened? What happened after the moment? After the moment, there was this calm and great feeling of satisfaction because I'm at that point in my life where I'm the coach and the player and there's this personal relationship I have with myself. I don't have to hear it from everybody. It's nice if I do, but I don't need it. It's uh, I'm kind of at that next level where it's like I just have an honest conversation with myself and I went, you killed it, man. Cool. You, I, there's not one thing I would have done differently. The tempo, the feel, the parts, the precision, the count-offs, the execution, everything. And I'm, I'm so hard on myself. And I did. I just said, "God, that's so cool." That was it. And then when I walked out to the audience, I bump into Ringo, who's sitting there, and he pulls me down and says, "Aronoff, you played fantastic." And I got down on one knee and said, you know, and then he was joking, like, like I was proposing to him. He says, no. And, that, <laughs> and, I, and I told him, his wife flipped out and said, you were amazing. Because I did all of Ringo's parts exactly the way he did it. He was even air drumming to this one fill in, um, uh, in something. Something. Uh, yeah. da 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 yeah, those buzz rolls, yeah. Right, well, I never knew those buzz rolls were there until Don was sent me the drum track separated. I went, that's what he's doing. And when, um, and during the, the, the TV show, they show Ringo looking at me doing the buzz rolls and smiling like he got it. He did it right. And it, man, that was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, dude. You just answered the question. That's it. Right, I'm going to sneak in one last question, Kenny. So you have a connection to both uh, uh, heroes of of uh, Dave's and mine. The forward to your book is written by Neil Peart, which is yeah. an idol to to Dave. And we'll, you, we'll say Neil Peart just to get his name right, Neil, just in case Neil he listens. Peart, That's right. And um, <laughs> and uh, you cross paths with Springsteen a few times. Just yeah. any any quick things you can share about musical influences from those two guys and what they did for you and and uh, yeah and just kind of connections to those two guys. Well, Bruce, I, I was lucky. I played with Bruce three times last year, uh, and um, I mean he's he's very very nice and very very respectful, and uh, he's the shit man. I mean he's one of the. Most successful guys because he's devoted his life and worked his ass off to be the best that he can be and still trying to be the best that he can be. And that's how you make it to that level. You know, that's a big way that you make it. Um, So I have nothing but incredible things to say about him. (laughs) Neil Peart, unbelievable drummer, human being, uh, all the above. I've had a chance to hang with him at his house, drive in his car with him. And that's why I wanted him to do the forward because I felt like he understood who I was as a musician, a drummer, an athlete, and a book writer now. So yeah. uh, he was the perfect guy, and um, I'm honored that he wrote. Uh, you know, and it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, these are these are people that are humble and uh, very disciplined, and they they their egos in check, and they realize. Well, I have a saying for myself and these guys probably think the same way 
Maybe they do or they act like they do. And the saying is this, I'll never be as great as I want to be, but I'm willing to spend the rest of my life trying to be as great as I can be. And that's the human condition. Awesome. You accept that you're not perfect, but you're still willing to try to be perfect, even though you know you'll never make it to where you want to go. Yeah. But you're willing to try like a running back in football, keeps trying to punch his way into the end zone. Doesn't do it every time, but he keeps trying. Can you try anyway? That's it. Yeah. Kenny, man, thank you so awesome. much for it's spending your time with us, man. What Fantastic. a blast. It's yeah, been great. great. Yeah, let's, really nice hanging out. Yep. Let's do it every week. Uh, sure. You want to come on yeah, as a guest absolutely. host anytime, man. You just you just tell us when you're around and we're, we'll we'll Skype you in. Sounds good. You know what? Send me a message. Call, uh, email me at once a month. I got a, there's a guy in Jersey, I think. Joe Ganza has me come on like once a month just to shoot the shit. You know, if you want to reach right. out to me. Perfect. Reach out. I will, man. Right. Absolutely. All right, thanks. Folks, remember, you can uh, you can find us at giggabpodcast.com. You can learn all about Kenny. Uh, in his book, we'll put links in the show notes. I think it's KennyAaronoff.com. Is that right, Kenny? Um, www.kennyaronoff.com. <clears throat> That's what I thought. All right. Sex, Sex drums, so much, rock man. and roll. The hardest hitting man in show business, Kenny Aronoff. All right. <laughs>